Welcome to the porch. You're on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics. Studying the Word of God, focusing on the Book of Acts Church, seeing how the early church served the Lord to follow their example. We take a deeper look into their service to the kingdom of God because I believe it's worth knowing and replicating. Our desire is to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world-shaking influence of the early church. By doing it the way we do it, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. The church age is not over. What happened in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. If you know that, if you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and you want more, you're welcome to join us on this journey. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or email us at theporch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, and we hope that you will, on the main page for firefalltalkradio.com, there are ways to do so. If you need more information, just reach out to us. We appreciate your support and encouragement and welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. I hope that you are subscribing and getting notified and all that kind of stuff because um, we're going to be doing some new stuff, adding some things, shooting some videos, doing testimonies. Uh, that's a lot of good stuff coming up, so you want to know about that. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the porch, being a part of our family in this community. If you need prayer or you want to pray for others, just let us know and we'll connect you and do what we can to plug you in. Also, we care about you. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X, which used to be Twitter, but now it's X which really makes no sense to me, but whatever. It's there. We're there. If you want to be a part of our aerial support for me, for Firefall, the porch, and especially for SRT and the team, let me know, and I will let you know what uh, we need. Where we start out, praise reports and prayer requests. Father, first of all, I praise you for being our Father, Abba. I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're doing, for allowing us to have relationship with you. Relationship. You're not a distant, unknown, unloving God. You're Dad. You're Abba. So thank you for that. Thank you for Yeshua, your only begotten Son, who you knew we would never meet your requirements and we would never be good enough and you wanted to be reconciled to us. So you sent him to pay our price. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Adonai, for doing that, for allowing what man did to you so that we could be redeemed, we could be restored, we could be made whole. Oh, you're so awesome. There's, I don't. I worship you and I adore you every minute of every hour of every day, even when I'm asleep. My spirit man praises you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending him back to teach us and encourage us and, and walk with us. You know, we just can't do it without him. So thank you. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my wife, my family, furry kids, everything I have. I thank you for it, for your protection over us, for keeping us safe and, and allowing us to, to walk with you. And we long for the day that we will be able to walk with you again like you did with Adam in the cool of the evening. Thank you for your healing virtue. Thanks for the dreams and the visions and, and, and giving us a taste and a foreshadowing of what's coming, warning us, encouraging us. 
Thank you for being able to praise you without fear of rejection or judgment, for being new, spirit renewed in our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit. And thank you for letting us know you're coming back. We're desperate to see you. Creation groans to see you. And we look forward to it. We look forward to the kingdom. We look forward to the new Jerusalem and ruling and reigning with you. And we pray. Lord, we pray for your nation, Israel, for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say peace be within you. Protect them. Protect them from their enemies. Protect them from them, themselves and bad leadership. And boy, do we need that. We need your intervention. I know you're allowing things to happen. I know you are sitting back because man have made choices. But forgive us. Forgive us and help us. Pray for the fatherless and the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice and those that are being martyred. For divine wholeness, health, and healing in me, my wife, my family, and all of our your children, all that are listening, Lord. As we get back to our divine design, no longer living these broken, dysfunctional lives, but being changed so that we can do what you've called us to do. We can glorify you even in our physical appearance and, and our health and all those things. But even so, in sickness, we are strong because we know who you are. And we know that infirmity has no control over us. Thank you for protecting us, that Psalm 91 covering that you've allowed us to have for the inspiration that you give us through the Holy Spirit. I pray for the remnant to wake up, to rise up, to answer this call to action. For those that have been blessed to be a blessing, so that we can bless others. And we can take this gospel of the kingdom into all the world. Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for praying. Praying for protection to each and every one of us during this supernaturally active demonic time. This is our time to shine. This is our time to arise and shine. The enemy knows it's the time and they're doing their job. Let's do ours. Let's push back. Let's take a stand. Let's be a light in the darkness. Let's be a beacon of hope. Praying that we can push back against the schemes of the fallen confronting them with confidence and purpose and power for the purpose of the kingdom, not for our own, but for the kingdom, for the king. Pray for edification, encouragement, and inspiration each and every one of you to do what you need to do, to walk where you need to walk, to say what you need to say in accordance with his will for your life. And I pray to be able to continually operate in the efficiently in the calling, Exposing the enemy, seeking the lost, helping the dying, living out Luke 4.18, my foundation scripture that you gave me, Lord. I pray for those in bondage, and I pray for the works of the enemy to be destroyed in their life. Now bless this time, bless this technology, and let your word go forth and be received in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. There's a term that's uh, Bible's open, by the way, if they're not. You should know that. If you've been listening to us, unless you're new, if you've been listening to us, your Bible should be open. You should be ready. Um... They come quick. They come fast. Some some have advanced warning, but even then, um, I, I just follow my my teacher and my mentor. And you know, he uh, 
he had a Bible that was filled, in his case, with paper clips. There was no nothing digital. And he would just be able to pull and go to, to where he was going to. And I, I used to do that until I realized the paper clips tear up those little paper-thin pages in the Bible. But anyway, um, there's a term in the church called apologetics. Not something I've ever really studied, and I'll explain why. It's simply defined as a defense of the faith, the Christian faith, the faith of a believer. It's derived from the Greek word apologia, and it's originally used for speech of defense or an answer given in reply. In ancient Athens, it referred to a defense made in the courtroom as a part of the normal judicial procedure. After the accusation, the defendant was allowed to refute the charges with a defense or a reply. And then the accused would attempt to speak away, apo way, logia, speech, the accusation. But that's not really what it means for us. What it means is giving a defense or a vindication of what you believe. It appears 17 times in the New Testament. You see it as in First Peter 3, starting verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We saw Peter do it on the day of Pentecost. We saw Paul do it a lot. And initially, he would go into the synagogues and confront people and argue with them. And I don't believe that that's the way to do it. I'm sure that there are people that got turned around that way. But it's never been something I've been interested in. Oh, I can do it. If we sit and talk, the scriptures will come. The Spirit will help me. But there is no, no matter how many books or courses that are sold, there is no specific system or theory of apologetics outlined in the New Testament by the the disciples. And folks, listen to me, please. If you cannot confirm a revelation or a teaching in the Word— If you cannot find it, I don't mean just a glancing mention of it. If it wasn't taught by John or Matthew or Peter or if it Paul, James, if it wasn't taught, it wasn't that important. Because if it was, it would be in there. And I see a lot of people falling victim to great, you know, what they think is great revelation. Oh, that sounds great. It's very exciting. Oh, that's new. It's outside the box. Yeah, it's also outside the book. But there's a section that I want to focus on that somewhat shows this. Where actually this, I did a similar teaching uh, years ago. And was circling back. It's not the the same, but I'm actually in the middle of a situation right now where somebody I'm ministering to wants intellectual confirmation. And part of that is so that they understand and also so that they can explain to someone else why they are doing, you know, believing in Yeshua and all that. So I figured let me share this with you because In the days ahead, there are going to be people that you're going to come across that do not know much about Yeshua, about Jesus, if anything at all, especially if the Lord opens up the door to the Jewish community, which I believe he's about to do to me and to this ministry. Point being, you you better be able to explain who Yeshua is. You need to be able to explain through Scripture both theirs and ours. Theirs is the Old Testament, the Tanakh, which was the, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, then the prophets and the writings, and our New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. You, you better be able to do that 
because people are going to have questions. So go with me to Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now, two two phrases here I want you to see. Son of Man, Messianic reference, uh, from Daniel, who do you say that I am? Those two words together are very significant, especially within the Jewish world. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Yeshua answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Yeshua, the Messiah. Interesting place that this conversation is happening. Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles north of Capernaum, the farthest borders of the land of Canaan northward, had many shrines to the Roman god of nature, Pan. Now, there are two cities in Judea called Caesarea. One's on the borders of the Mediterranean, and there's this one. Now, the city was enlarged and adorned by Philip the Tetrarch, son of Herod, and called Caesarea in honor of the Roman emperor Tiberius Caesar. And to distinguish it from the other Caesarea, the name Philip was added to it, and it became Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea of Philippi. And kicker, it's situated at the foot of Mount Hermon, the Mount of Transfiguration. Bottom of the mountain is Pan, top of the mountain they appear. We've talked about this before. A lot of really important stuff. I I would love to be able to go there and um, just look around, see what I can see, see what I can feel, maybe be there at night and, and see what happens. So they're in a remote corner away from the crowds. That's why he's there. He's gone to a place where he can get with his disciples Not a lot of people around, so he can have this important conversation with them. Now, Peter's recognition coming from the Father uh, also came from the recognition of him by his actions. See, the Jews had been waiting for a Hamashiach. They'd been waiting for the Messiah. And there were certain prophetic things that indicated that he would be the Messiah, John 4, starting verse 46. Yeshua came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman, which is a royal official, whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Yeshua had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Yeshua said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Yeshua said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. That's faith. He had faith that because Yeshua said it, It happened, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, Your son lives. And he inquired inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Yeshua said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. I realize... 
that so many other people became believers in Yeshua that we don't even know about. Situations like this. This was the second sign that Yeshua did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. We see it again in John chapter 10, verse 22. It was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, which makes this the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah. And Yeshua walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. And the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Yeshua answered and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Further down, verse 37, if, you, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought to seize him. They didn't really want to know if he was the Messiah. They were trying to trap him. But he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. And many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. Again, more conversions, more people believing that he is Messiah. Why? Because they saw what he did. They saw the signs. Take this path, go straight into the lake of fire. Take this path, go spend time with your heavenly father. That's a sign. Stop is a sign. A sign is also an object or act that points to a spiritual reality. Old Testament signs included natural phenomena, uh, monuments, miracles, prophetic acts. The New Testament signs occur most often in reference to Yeshua's actions. And the use of signs in the gospel and the book of Acts focuses on historical events that are both supernatural and significant. And the usages of the usage of signs in John is unique. John has organized his gospel around the specific actions of Yeshua. And he told us why he wrote his gospel in John twenty, starting in verse thirty. And truly Yeshua did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, and believing you may have life in his name. So the signs that John wrote about were to support his overall intention to point to the reality of who Messiah is so that when we read about them, that we will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ, if you want to use that term, the Son of God. I, because of my upbringing, knew of him. I knew about Jesus, and I believed. Not, I wasn't born again, but I'd been raised it. Excuse me, I'd been raised in it, so I believed. I also believed in worshiping Mary and all the other nonsense that went with what I was taught, but be that as it may, I knew who he was. I didn't know him. But some people just don't know him. If you if you watch go on YouTube and watch one for Israel, which is a ministry out of Israel to Jews about Yeshua, you will see possibly hundreds of videos of people talking about coming to saving faith in Yeshua who did not know anything about him. All they knew was that the New Testament was a testament, uh, was a book to the Gentiles that was used to persecute and kill them, and they were told to stay away from it because it was spiritually radioactive. 
Well, they didn't say that. Those are my words. And then once they open up the book and see it is a Jewish book written by Jewish peoples about a Jewish man in Israel, about Jewish things, their eyes are opened. But people sometimes want to see something before they believe. Now, the enemy knows that as well, and he uses signs to deceive us. That's why we're warned in Matthew 24, verses 24 and 25, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. You've been warned. Don't get caught up in signs and wonders. I'm of the opinion, if you see a sign, you should wonder who's who it's come from, who's doing it. I've seen enough and read enough about lying signs and wonders. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, Hasatan, with all the power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God, Hashem, will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 and 11. Lying signs and wonders. The enemy can do counterfeits. And people fall for it. Well, he must be of God. Look what he's doing. He's like Jesus. Well, no, really he's not. In fact, that you say that tells me you don't know who Jesus is. Revelation 19.20, and then the beast was captured, with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Test all things. Please. Do not be deceived. We're in a time where deception is thick. And it's easy to be deceived if you don't know this word. If the Holy Spirit isn't in you, and even if he is, you have to listen. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He won't force you. He won't push you. He won't force you to do anything. You'll get what we call a check in your spirit. Maybe I need to look this up. Maybe I need to research these people before I run to their ministry. Sounds good. Website's well done. They obviously spent some money on it. Videos look great. Look at all those people. This must be Jesus. And then you find out that they're not. Been there, done that. Have too many shirts to prove it. Go with me to Luke 7, verse 18. Then the disciples of John the Baptist reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Yeshua, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? I know I've said this before, but when I get to heaven, I want to say, Where's uh, John the Baptist's mansion? I want to knock on the door if there is one. One question, that's all I got. You baptized him. You saw the dove. You heard the, the the voice of God, and now you're sending your disciples, who you said you shouldn't have, to ask him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Well, the men had come to him and said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Yeshua answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He recited the signs of the Messiah from Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters, in his case living waters that he talks about later on, shall burst forth in the wilderness, 
and streams in the desert. When he stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth, he essentially declared himself the Messiah, which is why they wanted to kill him. Isaiah 61.1 is what he repeats. He goes to the scroll of Isaiah. Actually, they hand it to him. He doesn't pick it. Another supernatural sign. They give him the exact scroll that he can open and say, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, the prison to those who are bound. And then he sets it down and says, In your sight this has been fulfilled. So did he do those things? Did he open the, the eyes of the blind and the deaf hear and the lame walk? And uh, did he raise the dead? Did he do all the things I've mentioned? Well, if the answer is yes, that makes him the Messiah Israel was waiting for. And that's part of the defense and the argument that you offer when they say they don't know who he is, especially if they're of the Jewish faith and belief. You can tell them some scholars, biblical scholars, suggest that there are actually more than 300 Old Testament prophetic scriptures that were completed in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the circumstances such as his birthplace, his lineage, the method of his execution, things that were beyond his control that he couldn't manipulate, that his followers couldn't manipulate or have been accidentally or deliberately uh, done to make it say, see, see, that's him, that's him. Well, it was him. He didn't need to do it. It just happened because it was ordained. Prophecy had to be fulfilled in the way that it was. Coming out of Egypt, well, how did he come out of Egypt? Well, they had to flee into Egypt to hide after the wise men came through and Herod killed all the the babies up to two years old because he was probably 16, more likely 18 months old at that point. Well, maybe maybe you, you meet somebody that's into statistics. I had a friend of mine who got saved. Actually, I think before I did. Close to the same time, but slightly before. And he was spirit-filled. Initially, he used to move in the gifts. He was the person I called when Christopher came down with the adult form of spinal meningitis, and he and his prayer partner were actually in his apartment in in Hollywood praying, and they said they got down on their knees and they began to pray, and the presence of God filled the room, and it was powerful. Well, unfortunately, the enemy did not like that and spent a number of years hounding and pounding on Charlie until he finally broke him, broke his mind, broke his spirit, and took his life. And towards the end of his life, we would spend hours on the phone he was starting to get caught up in his mind, starting to get caught up in gnosis and knowledge. And he had lost where it started for him in his heart. But you're going to meet people that are intellectuals. In the book Science Speaks, Peter Stoner and Robert Newman discussed the statistical improbability of one man, whether accidentally or deliberately, fulfilling just eight of the main prophecies that Yeshua fulfilled. Well, the statistical probability that one man did that is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one. And then add 17 zeros after the one. It's statistically impossible. He fulfilled them all. I guess that makes him the Messiah that Israel was waiting for. Now, Matthew knows his audience. For a tax collector, he's a pretty good writer. Maybe he was just moonlighting as a tax collector. 
Maybe he always, he always wanted to be a writer. I don't know. He's not just telling us stories about Yeshua. He has put together a well-crafted account of Yeshua's life and his ministry, an account focused on proving to his Jewish audience, remember, this book is written by Jews for Jews. Now, later on, when Paul gets involved, it's to the Gentile believers, but this is a book by Jews, about Jews, for Jews. He wrote in the way that he did to prove to his Jewish audience that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hamashiach. He is the Messiah promised in their scriptures. And he uses Old Testament prophets and the Psalms in his proof. See, I will tell you this. If you discuss this with anybody and you lean on the New Testament, they're probably not going to listen. So you better know the scriptures. You better know what's going on in the Old Testament. I I hear, I'm not even with you, and I can hear what you're thinking. Some of you think very loud, but I can hear what you're thinking. I don't need this, Richard. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a minister. I don't go out and tell people. Why not? Why are you holding on to the secret to yourself? Why aren't you telling your friends and your loved ones? Finding a way, saying, Lord, open the door. I know that I know that I know from the day that I got saved and went back to New York. He always opened up the opportunity. I've told this story, but it's a visual one. I'm I'm in New York. I'm making the rounds, which is called going to casting director and agents. And I'm on my way to the SAG Screen Actors Guild building because there's stuff posted there. And I bump into somebody I know from the movie sets. And he looks at me really intently. And he goes, did you get a facelift? I went, no, why? He said, you look completely different. You look great. And I wanted to say, yes, yes, facelift by the Holy Spirit. But no, I told him what happened. I told him my story right there on Broadway in Manhattan in the middle of the day with people going by. I didn't care. I told him. Become a living testimony, but be able, by knowing this word and knowing who he is intimately, to answer the question. Aaron Judah Kleigerman, an expert in Messianic prophecy, says, the use of the term prophet by the Jews of Jesus' day shows not only that they expected the Messiah to be a prophet in accordance with the promise in Deuteronomy 18, but also that he who performed these miracles was indeed the promised prophet. They were waiting for a prophet greater than Moses, and he was. The Lord said in Luke sixteen sixteen, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. They're eager to get in. They're forcefully laying claim to the kingdom through radical trust and obedience. Will you lay hold of the kingdom? Will you trust? Will you grab a hold of it? Proudly, I am born again. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Yeshua is my Lord. He is my Messiah. He is everything to me. In John 5.36, the Lord says, But I have a greater witness than John, speaking of John the Baptist, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Yeshua's doctrines and miracles, what he taught, what he said, what he did, personalized him to be an extraordinary person. Nicodemus said that, Lord, you... You cannot do the things you do unless you are a prophet sent from God. But he was more than that. Because of the normalness of his appearance, the prophesied in Isaiah that he would be of no appearance. He wouldn't be movie star, blonde hair, you know, dirty blonde hair, surfer looking, blue eyes. 
No, he'd just be a regular guy that you wouldn't look twice as he went by, at least not physically. So he was different from what they expected. They they did not want to own him as their Messiah. They would do anything but that. That's why some say he's Elijah. Boy, did they get that. They got that from Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. For me, when I read that scripture, the dreadful day of the Lord, which is the second, which is that moment he comes in and and judges and tears everything down, and, and well, I believe Elijah is one of the witnesses that prophesies in Jerusalem towards the end there. Others say Jeremiah. Some of the Jews that thought they thought Jeremiah would be resurrected. Um, maybe because of the way Yeshua handled sensitive matters and dealing with the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Um, I don't know. But they were thinking, Jeremiah 1, verses 9 and 10. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have set this, this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. So they knew that the Messiah would do all those things. They just didn't want to deal with the suffering servant part of Isaiah 53. But Peter, the fisherman, fighter, short answer. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Sometimes we need to get just get right to it, blunt. Here's a confession of faith in the Lord as Messiah, and he addresses him as an act of devotion. His eyes have been opened by faith, by the Father, not by anything natural. A confession of the true God as the living God, in opposition to the dumb, dead idols. We need more boldness. We need people to walk out their faith. I'm not just saying talk it. I'm saying walk it. Let people look at you and know there's something different about you. I've had people ask me that. something different about you. Yep, there is. I know the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe is my father. Lord said, but he could only have known that, but from my Father who is in heaven. Being a believer in Yeshua, in Jesus of Nazareth, is a revealed belief from heaven, given by inspiration of God, not from the learning of the philosophers, nor politics, or statesmen, or statesmen, or great orators. I listened to a great teacher, a great speaker, Bob Shelley. I don't remember what he said the day I got saved because the wall around my heart had got cracked and was coming down from our lunch two days before when a simple phrase did it. Saving faith. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is fashioned by him as the Father of our Lord, Adonai Yeshua, our Lord Jesus. And it's done for his sake because he wants to be reconciled to you. He wants to have family dinners with you. He wants to spend the holidays with you. You are blessed, Simon Barjona, because my Father has revealed it to you. When it reveals Messiah to us, it's a loving token of God's will and begins that foundation of happiness and blessed blessing. This was a seminal special moment in the unfolding of God's will for humanity. You 
are the Messiah, the anointed one. In the Greek, it's Christos. That's where we get Christ. But the Hebrew is Mashiach, Messiah. And I, for many years now, tend to lean towards Messiah. Hardly ever use Christ because it's become a a title. It's his last name. Oh, look at his driver's license, Jesus Christ. No, that's not his last name. He's Messiah. And if Christos or Christ means Messiah, why don't I just use the original word? Why don't I use the root word, which is what I do? Because to me, saying anything other than Messiah falls short. But many Christians still use the title Christ. They can't, you know, it's ingrained in them. I get it. But it's the Greek translation of Messiah. Never forget that. To me, Messiah communicates an idea that reaches outside the boundaries of typical Christianity. It includes Jew and Gentile. Now, the concept of Messiah is hinted in Genesis 3.15. I will put, he's speaking to the serpent, I will speak, I will put enmity, hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Well, a woman doesn't have seed. It's a reference, a reference to. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little excited. The spirit has hit me. This is great stuff, at least to me, because I love it. I love it. But a woman cannot have seed. This is the miraculous virgin birth. He's being hinted at. Hey, I'm going to send somebody that's going to crush you. A lot of the religions talk about a Messiah, Judaism, Islam, um, Buddhists speak of the rock that is Messiah, which skips across the surface, creating ripples in the water. What? But they're in denial of a need for Messiah. We make our own path to enlightenment. doesn't matter how much they stumble around in the dark. They, they they make their own path to enlightenment. So they recognize what a Messiah is, but they deny its need. Hind, Hinduism is the same way, as are most other pagan false religions. Science, singularity, man merging with machine to make the perfect creation, thereby saving himself. Eh, wrong answer. Thank you for playing. Pick up your parting gifts on the way out. Nope, we need a Messiah. It's born in us. We need a Savior. I knew that. I knew that, that I knew that, kneeling at that altar, weeping before the Lord. When my brother-in-law John said, what are you doing here? And I said, I've screwed it all up. I have messed up my life. I've thrown away the only things of value. I need a Savior. I knew the truth, and just like he said in John eight thirty two, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John fourteen six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No other religion, no other path, no other dogma, no other doctrine. The only way you are restored in right relationship with the God of all creation, your heavenly Father, is to be born again, to know Yeshua as Savior and make him Lord of your life. Now, after this revelation, the Lord promises to prefer, preserve and secure his church that it's so solidly built on the bedrock of Peter's confession because the the church has enemies, the kingdom of darkness that's going to fight against it, and it's going to attempt to ruin it and overthrow it. The gates of Hades, which is the underworld, a place for the departed souls. It's the designation of the abode of the dead itself. And the Greek Hades replaced the Hebrew term Sheol, which was the place of the dead before final judgment. Remember, Yeshua is speaking in Aramaic, speaking the Jews. He's not speaking Greek. Greek is what it was translated into. 
But the Greek verb for prevail is rendered to overpower, to be strong against. Now, just as the clarification, Hades is not the final state of punishment, the final state of last judgment. That's Gehenna. And what the writers of the of the Bible, the Jesuits that wrote the King James, they took all the concepts, Hades, Gehenna, Sheol, and turned it into hell. We see the story of, of, of Sheol with, with Lazarus, the beggar, dying, going down, sitting in uh, on Abraham's bosom, looking, uh, uh, seeing the rich man that had walked past him and criticized and ridiculed him, burning, being in an arid, awful place, saying, hey, go back and tell my brothers. Go t- tell my brothers. No just like you, your brothers, have been told. We have to understand what the Bible means. Stop looking for new doctrines and new revelation if you don't understand this one. Gates of hell, gates of Hades are the symbol of power and the policies of the devil's kingdom. The gates, that's authority. That's why Paul said we need to pull down strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We're walking in two worlds. We're living in two worlds. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Messiah and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Inverse logic says don't be messing with their obedience till you di- uh, disobedience till you deal with your own. And by the way, pulling down strongholds, very glamorous. Let's sing, let's shout, let's dance. Well, guess what? Yes, there are strongholds in the heavenlies and the spiritual realm. What about the strongholds in your life, in your mind, in the minds of others, the people that you know? Don't take, don't take on the giants if you can't deal with the small stuff. The strongholds of the mind and the soul that keep people from acknowledging him as Savior and Lord. And that's the Great Commission. Great Commission is go make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, getting them saved, healed, and delivered, as I say. All this other stuff is a distraction. If you're focused on anything else but that, you're wasting your time in his. So Yeshua, instead of rebuking Peter's brashness, he blesses him for the confession of his faith. And that allows Peter, after the upper room, second chapter of Acts, to stand up after he's given that speech and say, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Adonai, both Lord and Messiah. That's a bold Peter. That's a born-again Peter. That's very typical of the preaching the apostles did because they proclaimed that the Old Testament prophecies had been filled in the life fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, who is the promised Messiah, that the apostles themselves were eyewitnesses of Yeshua's entire public ministry and chosen to be representatives. Excuse me. That people are called to repent of their sins and have faith in God through Yeshua as Messiah. They're not called to join a church. They're not called to join a denomination. They're called to repent of their sins. Every one of the videos I've watched lately all said the same thing. They suddenly realized they were sinners and they needed help. They also taught that salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit are promised 
to those who respond affirmatively to the good news. Now, Yeshua says, you are Petros, a small stone, and on this Petra, an immovable ledge of rock, I will build my church. On the bedrock of your confession, I will build my church. Peter doesn't build it. The Lord builds it. It was on his confession. He didn't become the pope, the first pope. That's hundreds of years later, maybe 150, 200 years later. His confession of Yeshua as Messiah, as the anointed one. But the enemy, knowing that he could not stop this, tricked people into believing that the authority of the church resides in Simon Peter and that he built the church on Simon Peter. No. Again, Peter, Petros, small rock, sliver, pebble. The rock, the Lord's talking about Petra, a foundation stone. He promised to build his church on a foundation stone, and the foundation stone is Yeshua. On this rock I will build my church, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus the Messiah. Therefore, it's also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the reject, with the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, becoming disobedient to the word to which they were appointed, to which they were promised, and it became a rock of offense. That was First Peter 2, verses 4 through 8. This massive rock foundation. Jesus is the rock. Yeshua is the rock. And he built his church on that, on Peter's confession. And Peter and the, the, the apostles became stones that were fit together. Ephesians two nineteen through 22. Therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. Do you get it? Are you getting it? This is why you've got to live the right life. This is why you've got to walk the the, the the talk that you talk. He gave us a foundation so strong that even Satan cannot take it down. And if he could, if, if, if Satan could prevent the new birth, don't you think he would? But he can't. He couldn't stop mine. Couldn't stop me from standing up. Couldn't stop me from walking to that altar. Of course, I don't remember how I got there. Angels might have put their you know, the arms under my arms and took me there. I don't know, but I went there and he couldn't stop it. He cannot stop the Holy Spirit from revealing Yeshua as Messiah. Can't do it. And he cannot stop you from acknowledging him as your Savior and Lord. Only you can do that. And that's where he concentrates. The decision we have to make is a decision we'll be judged upon. The phrase, to bind and loose, whatever you shall bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I've taught this before very simply. To bind and to loose is a phrase that was often used by the Jews. To bind is to prohibit. To loose is to permit. To bind a thing was to forbid it. To loose it was to allow it to be done. Now, Matthew 10. We're going to keep going here. I'm going to go till I'm done. Sorry. If you if you have a, an appointment, well, if you more, more than likely you're not listening live, you're listening uh, recorded, so you can pause if you have to. But I'm going to keep going. Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him 
I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Picture you standing before the great white throne of judgment. And he looks into his book. And before the, the, the judgment can gavel can fall, nope. This is one of mine. He's confessed me as Lord and Savior. Uh, sorry, I don't, I don't see your name in here. I, I can't say that you belong to me. Now, C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Cambridge University and used to be an agnostic, he wrote this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. Well, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must have to make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So let me close with this question. Who do you say that Jesus, that Yeshua is? Some say he's he's a myth. He's not even real. doesn't matter all the eyewitnesses in the books that have been written. They'll say he's a prophet. He's a philosopher. He's a social reformer. Or is he the Messiah, the Son of God? Who is he to you? How you answer that will determine the way you think and live your life. And your life is the best argument that you can offer to anyone about why you believe. That's why your testimony is so powerful. That's why the enemy hates it. And that's why every chance I get, I share it. Lord, we love you and we come to you now. You are Adonai, you are Lord, you are Messiah, you are Savior, you're King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You're everything. The Son of the living God. You're ours and we're yours. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for saving us. Now help us through your Holy Spirit to do the same for others, to lead them to you, to say, to be able to say, hey, I want to introduce you to my best friend, to the one who saved me, gave me back my family, forgave all the disgusting, satanic things I did in my life, all the people I hurt. He forgave me and gave me back what I threw away. You need to meet him because he's longing to meet you. Help us, Lord. Help us to do this. Give us the tools. Give us the provision to go destroy the work of the enemy. To shake the world one last time before you come back. I ask all these things. Now, let me stop here. If you're if you're listening and you have wandered away from that commitment to him as Lord and Savior, if you don't feel about him the way I've described for this last 65 minutes, make this the night that you rededicate yourself to him. Make this the night that you get on your knees and cry out to him from your heart to cleanse you, to heal you, and to restore you into right relationship, and then commit to sharing him with others out of that love, not out of obligation, not out of form and formality, but out of love. 
And if for some reason you don't know him and you're not born again, if you can't say with beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I know that I know I am born again, then this is the night. This is the time. This is the day. Whenever it is you're listening, to say, yes, I believe that you died for my sins. I accept that payment for my sins. Yes, I believe that you died on that cross for me, that you rose on the third day, that you are alive right now. Yes, I believe that you are Messiah, my Lord and Savior. I accept you into my heart. I accept you into my life. If you'll say that, Lord, the the, the Romans says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're saved. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Adonai, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.